The following audio is from All Saints Church. For more information about the church, please visit our website at allsaintsgb.org. A New Testament reading from Acts chapter 13, verses 13 through 43. Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga and Pamphylia, and John left them and returned to Jerusalem. But they went on from Perga and came to Antioch in Pisidia, and on the Sabbath day they went into the synagogue and sat down. After the reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them saying, brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. So Paul stood up and motioning with his hand said, men of Israel and you who fear God, listen, the God of this people Israel chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arm, he led them out of it. And for about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. All this took about 450 years. And after that, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David the son of Jesse a man after my own heart who will do all my will. Of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a savior, Jesus, as he promised. Before his coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, What do you suppose that I am? I am not he. No, but behold, after me one is coming, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them. By condemning him. And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. And we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus, as also it is written in the second psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken in this way, I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he also says in another psalm, you will not let your holy one see corruption. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. 
Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish, for I am doing a work in your days, a work that you would not believe, even if one tells it to you. As they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. God, we thank you for your word. Let's pray. Lord, you call us to be evangelists, to be messengers of this great and glorious good news regarding your son Jesus, and we desire to do so. We do. But the work is hard, and we are prone to discouragement. As we look at your word today, please teach us anew how to be better bearers of this gospel and encourage us anew to see the joy and the inordinate privilege privilege of this task, no matter how daunting it can seem at times. Would you do this for us? We pray in Christ's name. Amen. So... Thanks very much for having me back here today. Uh, It is always a great joy to be with you all. This is a very special place, and uh, thank you for uh, having me. So, and thank you, Ben, for the uh, the introduction. Um, I do not have a spiritual gift of evangelism. Wish I did, but I don't. I'm not a Billy Graham. Uh, I've never, you know, led a person to Christ. You know, as we say in the lingo, as far as I know. Uh, I'm not one of those people who can meet a stranger on a bus and be talking about Jesus with them naturally after five minutes. Some people are. My mom was kind of that way. Uh, But I'm not. Um, I went on a business trip a few weeks back. I'm a software engineer. Went to Louisville, Kentucky. And uh, I'm at the stage of life where I never have to go on a business trip again, (laughs) okay? I'll be just fine. The allure of working all day and going out all night is not something I need anymore. That, that joy has long since faded. Um, but I went out because I wanted to be open to opportunities. So, uh, and, and you kind of know, for those of you who have been on business trips, you, you, um, you know, first of all, you see, are there any allies here? Are there any other potential fellow Christians that I can get to know here? So you look for the signs, you know, maybe the people who aren't swearing or doing the OMGs or the people who aren't drinking to excess or things like that and just never found anything. But you also want to just see how open people might be to spiritual conversations. So, you know, you start to just probe and, and, and maybe you kind of, you know, throw in a mention of church or something like there in there. And and um, I always got to get a sense of like people are open and I describe it as, as the bounce. Uh, and I've talked to Jen about it this way too, where you know, if you kind of introduce something that's getting close to a spiritual topic, you can see if they, they kind of bounce, you know, if they accept or if that just kind of bounces off and they change the topic. In fact, I thought it was really interesting that in God's providence that Wes and Kimberly had this, this beach ball idea here because that's exactly what it looks like to me. You kind of lob something just to see if like, okay, is there any spiritual interest here? And, you know, it's, it's like Wes on the phone, you know? And so, uh, so I, I'm glad I still went out and built relationships, but um, didn't find any opportunities to talk about the good news of Jesus. And honestly, I think that's discouraging. And I think that's part of what we deal with where we want to, but so many times in life, we're just discouraged that we don't seem to find that, that opportunity. 
Uh, as we come to our passage today in the book of Acts, we're in the middle of what we now refer to as Paul's first missionary journey. He wouldn't have called it that. He didn't know if it was first. He didn't know how many it was going to take, right? <laughs> but, but, you know, this is the first missionary journey, and it covers Acts chapters 13 and 14. And most scholars think that this journey took place over a course of about two years, from A.D. 46 to A.D. 48, just to kind of put it into, into some context. And geographically, if you imagine the Mediterranean Sea as kind of a rectangle, you'll just have to use your imagination here with me, um, Paul and Barnabas started off at the top right of that rectangle in a very important city called Antioch. That's where the Holy Spirit said, hey, set apart for me Saul and, Saul and Barnabas. I want them to go do something here, right? And uh, last week, if you were here, I believe that you, talked, you heard about their activities on the island of Cyprus, which, again, if you imagine this rectangle, Cyprus is off in the top right. It's kind of the island closest to Antioch, so it kind of makes sense that they went there, there first. And in today's passage, we find Paul and Barnabas and their companions sailing north from this island, Cyprus, to what is now modern-day Turkey. So that's where we are in time, and that's where we are in space in terms of this missionary journey. Now, I've studied the book of Acts several times in my life, and for me, it's a book that honestly yields very conflicting feelings. And here's what I mean by that. As someone interested in history, as someone interested in geography, as somebody interested in theology, it's tops. It's one of my favorite books. You know, uh, Luke is perhaps one of my favorite authors in the Bible. But I always leave with this sense of unease as I measure my life's evangelistic accomplishments against the evangelistic accomplishments of what we see the people on these missionary journeys uh, doing. And my life can feel lacking, like, what's going on? They had such success in carrying the message of Jesus. Why has it been so hard for me with my family, my neighbors, my coworkers? I want to be a good messenger of Jesus, but the task seems so hard, and nine times out of ten, it's that bounce. Maybe you feel the same way. We are messengers for Jesus. We're called to do it. But I think our encouragement is also to remember that Jesus is for the messengers. <laughs> Jesus is with us in this task. So what encouragement did Jesus have for us in this very difficult task in many cases? I think there's many ways we could answer that question, and as you go through the book of Acts, you're going to see that question being answered in multiple ways in terms of where does Jesus encourage us in this difficult task. But in this particular passage, in Acts 13, I think it encourages us in one specific way, and it's a reminder about the simplicity of the task, to keep it simple, not to overthink it or overcomplicate it. So how so? Point one, the messenger of Jesus goes where the gospel might find listeners. Okay? That seems obvious, but I think sometimes that's maybe not so obvious. But it's a simple point. Verses 13 and 14 read, Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga and Pamphylia, and John left them and returned to Jerusalem. But they went on from Perga and came to Antioch and Pisidia, and on the Sabbath day they went to the synagogue and sat down. Now, for a history and geography geek, like I've already mentioned, these are passages that really float my boat, 
you know. You know, most times we read these and we go, name, 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 name. You know, for me, these are great, right? Because what comes through here is that they're trying to keep things simple. They're trying to get the biggest bang for the, for the evangelistic buck that they can get, so to speak. They leave Paphos on Cyprus. And remember, Paphos was the capital of the Roman province of Cyprus. And as such, it was a city of influence. That's probably why they went there. And sure enough, it paid off because they got to meet Sergius Paulus, who was the proconsul of that province, or the guy who led that province, and he responded favorably to the gospel. And now they sail to Perga, which makes sense because it's a port city. That's where you'd go if you were sailing north. And they skip Perga, and they don't evangelize there, but they go to Pisidian Antioch. But going to Pisidian Antioch makes a lot of sense. It was the most important city in the southern part of the Roman province of Galatia. It had a sizable Jewish population. It had a synagogue where Paul had a good chance of being invited to speak. There's even some speculation in the historical record that Sergius Paulus may have encouraged Paul to go there because we know that he had family connections to Pisidian Antioch. So as they were talking to Sergius Paulus back in Cyprus, he may have said, hey, go there next. I got connections. I can help you out. Okay. In short, Paul and Barnabas, and this is really common in the book of Acts, are just going to where they think they'll have the best opportunities to share the gospel. Both which cities to go to and like where to go within the cities. You know, namely to start within the synagogue. Where else are you going to have a better opportunity to talk about Jesus than in the Jewish synagogue? It's not complicated. It's a simple plan. Go where you find the open door. Also, parenthetically, as we look at these verses, I just want to make sure we don't miss this phrase. And John left them and returned to Jerusalem. Now, this John is John Mark. And we know from Acts 15, 38, that Paul considered this a desertion. John Mark quit the mission trip. Ugh. Now, we don't know why. We can speculate. You know, John Mark was Barnabas's cousin, and initially it seems like Barnabas was in charge of the trip, but over time, Paul kind of became in charge of this trip. So, you know, maybe Mark is a little bit upset with the change of leadership, or, or maybe he just didn't want to climb the 3,600 feet in elevation it takes to get from Perga to Pisidian Antioch. That would have been my reason. I'm like, you, you want to go there? <laughs> I'm out, man. There's no way I'm climbing 3,600 feet, you know, but we don't know. But um, one thing I want to mention is that this John Mark is the same Mark who wrote the Gospel of Mark that we have in our Bibles today. So arguably, Mark did more for sharing the Gospel of Jesus to the world than staying on the missions trip. <laughs> but I think the point of this is, is, again, it points to that aspect of continually finding the open doors. If being a messenger for Jesus has been hard for you at some point in your life, if you felt at some point you quit, it's not the end of our stories. Okay? Maybe you just need to find another means of sharing the gospel. Uh, maybe you are a writer like John Mark. Maybe you're a poet. Maybe you're an artist. Uh, don't give up seeking those forums where your gift mix and your personality can be useful as a messenger of Jesus. So the messenger of Jesus goes where the gospel might find listeners, um, you know, but that also applies to the venues that we, that we seek too. And I'll give a couple of illustrations. Um, you know, 
my wife, I think, found, found, that, plate, found that place. Uh, she, my wife, uh, Jen, uh, sitting right here, works as a licensed professional counselor. And recently, a couple years ago, she made a transition to a Christian counseling agency where, after years of working with the state of Wisconsin, she now has, you know, maybe a broader platform to uh, share the gospel. And I want to explain she's very professional and carefully explains up front that she can bring Christian faith into the sessions or not, depending on the client's preferences. You know, nothing's done, nothing's forced. But she's had many opportunities to do so. Uh, even with those who initially didn't want to bring Christian faith elements uh, into the discussion. So my wife, as a positive example, ultimately found her place where the gospel might find listeners. I'd almost contrast that with me. You know, here I am as a software engineer um, working, and honestly, you know, we've, had, we've tried to have neighbors over and bounce uh, I've been there 18 years for my company, and honestly, everybody I work with is upper middle class professional, and hasn't. I've probably had maybe less than less than five spiritual conversations ever in the 18 years I've worked there, uh, and none of them really got to the point of the gospel. Family, tried with family, you know, not much of a hearing there, and. You know, and I have to be careful how I say this, because I'm always open to opportunities, but I've almost reached the point where I've said, you know, my neighbors, my workplace, my family, that's not the place where the open door is right now. And not that I'm not open to whatever the Holy Spirit would do, but I think that these people might just right now be too comfortable to hear the gospel. And that's Okay. And it's not something I should beat myself up about, or you should beat yourself up about. But it does maybe cause us to ask that question then, okay, if the gospel goes where it has the hearing, where's the hearing? Where do I go where the gospel has a hearing? One of the verses that God's been laying on my heart, which is kind of related recently, is, is the parable of the wedding feast in Matthew 22. Then he said to his servants, the wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go, therefore, to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. The messenger of Jesus goes to the places where the gospel might find listeners. It's, it's simple. What is that for me? What is that for you? Nursing homes? Young life? Lay counseling. Let's talk with the Lord and ask him where that place might be for us. I really believe he wants to answer that prayer. And if it's not in the spheres that we're currently in, maybe it's somewhere else. Okay. So the first point of simplicity in the gospel is that we've seen from our passes is the messenger of Jesus goes where the gospel might find listeners. The second point that we see in the passage, I believe, is that Jesus wants us to start by finding commonality with our listeners. Start by finding commonality with our listeners. Um, now, this record of Paul's sermon here in this chapter 13 is actually the longest sermon of Paul preached in a synagogue that we have recorded in the Bible. And if I went through Paul's sermon verse by verse, we would literally be here till like 3 o'clock in the afternoon, which I know you don't want, and I probably don't want either. So I, I always tell Chad, you know, Chad, 
ideally, I think I'm kind of a structured guy who likes to preach about 11 verses. And so I get, I get uh, what, 30, 31 in this passage here. So, um, but that's okay. But all that is to say is we're going to have to make some abbreviations here uh, to get through this. And I just want to take some key observations to show how Paul is building on points of commonality with his listeners to provide an opportunity to introduce the gospel. Oh, another way to put that is that Paul is working to get around to Jesus in the most natural, normal way he can. Let's, let's take a look at that. First, he's using a natural opportunity. Verse 16 says, brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. Now, that may be kind of a little weird, like they're just going to invite this random person up to speak. Um, but understand, Paul was a trained rabbi. Paul probably dressed like a rabbi, people think. And it was customary for visiting rabbis to speak in synagogue. It was completely normal. And the synagogue leaders had probably arranged with Paul ahead of time to be the guest speaker. Oh, you're visiting Pisidia Antioch. Yeah, who did you train under? Oh, I trained under Gamaliel. Oh, Gamaliel, yeah, I've heard of him, yeah. Hey, you want to be our speaker this Sabbath? Sure, love to, you know. Uh, normal, natural opportunity. Second, the speech is in a normal Greek form. You don't need to know these words, but Paul goes through the exordium, the narration, the propositio, the provatio, uh, <laughs> on to the peroration. You know, if you were a person listening to this sermon in that time, it would have been right down the line. It's like normal. It's kind of like what I'm trying to do today. Intro, three main points, conclusion, done. Perfectly normal. Nothing to get worked up about. It's a natural form, right? Third, Paul's using normal Hebrew expository forms. Uh, for example, and you don't have to remember this, you know, Paul's using a technique called Gezerah Shua, which in texts are chosen and put together because they share a common word. Again, in verses 34 and 35, he pulls two verses together because they both, both mention the word holy. So again, he's just doing what everybody would expect, okay? It's normal. Fourth, the sermon starts by building points of commonality with their worldview. Note that in verses 17 through 23, the subject of each of these sentences is God. Okay? God is the actor. God did this. God did that. God drives redemptive history. God chose the patriarchs. Verse 17, he grew Israel numerically in Egypt. Verse 17, he rescued them from Egypt. He cared for them in the desert. Verse 18, he gave them land. Verse 19, he gave them kings. First Saul and then David. And then a promise to David that his offspring would rule forever. The messianic hope. So he's building on a shared understanding. He's building on what they would believed to be true, that there is a creator God who providentially drives redemptive history and has promised a Messiah, has promised somebody who will sit on David's throne. Isn't that all a great setup in building commonality to get to who that person might be? I think so. And Interestingly, you know, I, I believe that you guys are not going too much farther in the book of Acts, but it's fascinating to see how Paul does this building of points of commonality when sharing the gospel with all different types of groups. 
In Acts 14, which I believe you will get to in a couple weeks, he does it with a pagan audience, okay? They come into town, they heal a crippled person, and, and people think that Paul and Barnabas are, are Zeus and Hermes. And he has to say, no, we're just men. But he, he builds on the commonality that they have about some sort of a living master god. Uh, to, to kind of, and in Acts 17, with that famous speech uh, on Mars Hill in Athens, when he's engaging with the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers, uh, he starts with the idea of, he actually quotes some of the common writings of the Greeks in that age to build those points of commonality. So Paul is always trying to start with the gospel, first by building these points of commonality with the audience. Okay? But after building these points of commonality, well, you do eventually have to get to the topic of Jesus, right? <laughs> so we see he does a couple of things here. First, Paul is very good in terms of just learning how to handle the common objections people may have had about Jesus, the Messiah. Uh, how do we know he's the Messiah? Well, John the Baptist prepared the way. Remember in the Old Testament, it talks about somebody coming to prepare the way? Well, if he's the Messiah, then why did the Jewish leaders reject him? Well, because they didn't understand the texts that are read every Sabbath. And they actually were fulfilling these scriptures themselves by this rejection. Well, if he's the Messiah, why did the Romans put him to death? Well, it was a sham trial. He had no guilt worthy of death. So we see that Paul has learned um, you know, to, to handle the common objections. And we also see that he knows what sources are going to work well when he makes his arguments for Jesus. Uh, for instance, uh, he pulled in Psalm 16, which was our Old Testament passage today, that talks about where David writes, For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let, let your Holy One see corruption. Well, David wrote that, but David decayed. So he can't be talking about himself. Who's he talking about? Jesus, right? The point in all this, it seems to me, is Paul just works to bring the gospel into the normal, natural flow of everyday communication, what people would expect. Um, a couple of examples of this, maybe how this might work in our own life. You know, every day we have these exchanges with people. Hi, how are you? The other person says back, fine, how are you? Fine. You know, semantically in our culture, it's just a way of saying, I acknowledge you. It's a bid for additional conversation, right? You know, it's just the way we do it. Now, when someone asks Dave Ramsey, how are you doing? He says, better than I deserve, right? So what he's done is he's found kind of one of these natural points of, you know, the semantic things that we do every day. And he's found an opportunity to make another bid. That's a bid. When you say better than I deserve, that's a bid for somebody to say, what do you mean by that? What do you mean better than I deserve? Oh, well, let me tell you, right? Okay. Or when I checked my bag in Louisville on the way back from my business trip, the check-in agent didn't say, have a good day. He said, have a blessed day. That's a bid, you know? Again, that's an opportunity for me to say, hmm, I wonder what he means by that. I didn't because I was you know, running late, but I said, I said, and you have a blessed day too. <laughs> you know, so I think that's our code word for, okay, we know where we're coming from, right? <laughs> so, but good for him. Um, and I think it just points to the fact that, you know, what scripture I think is trying to encourage us in the simplicity of this task is just find the points of commonality with this person. Where does our worldview overlap? 
today, do you meet with people who have a sense that the world is fallen and broken? Guess what? That aligns pretty well with my worldview too. You know, how can we, how can we build upon that? Um, or do we have, are we meeting with a really scientific person who believes that the world is very ordered and whatnot? Well, you know, my, my worldview says that God is a God of order and not of chaos too. You know, finding those points of commonality uh, that can be used as a bridge to a conversation about Jesus. So, simplicity point one, the messenger of Jesus goes where the gospel might find listeners. Simplicity point two, the messenger of Jesus finds commonality with his or her listeners. Now, simplicity point three, the messenger of Jesus calls for a response to the gospel from his or her listeners. So, we're now jumping all the way to verse 38 in the text. See, told you, we're just going to skip right over that middle part. <laughs> okay. Uh, now, we know that the gospel is not complicated, right? We know that, right? God created me. I'm separated from God because of sin. Without any intervention, this separation would continue under, uh, after death in hell. I can't solve this problem on my own. I can't be forgiven by my own good works or good behavior. God himself has to take that initiative. He did so by sending his son Jesus to take the penalty for sin in my place, and this was accomplished through his death and validated through his resurrection. And we have to appropriate that substitutionary atonement by believing in Christ. It's not automatically applied. We have to believe. Okay, so not, not that complicated, right? Two or three sentences to explain it. What's interesting to me in verses 38 to 39 is I think Paul got that. Because if you look at those two verses, just see how much of the gospel Paul packs in, in 38 and 39. Here, let's read it through together here. So, let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, okay, there's the, there's the agency, right? Jesus is the one through whom salvation is initiated. It's not me. Through this man, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Oh, we're sinners, we need some mechanism that forgives that sin to be put back in the right position with God. Verse 39, and by him, okay, again, Jesus, again, grounds his salvation. Everyone who believes, again, there's that need for personal appropriation. This is a message that I must do by personally placing my faith in Jesus. It's not automatically applied. Is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Ah, Okay, that means that it's not something I can do. My works can't do it. I can't just follow the laws of Moses and get that freedom from sin. Something else has to happen. That's the gospel. But interestingly, Paul doesn't just throw out information. He calls for a personal response. And note in verse 38, the nouns change. You know, he's been talking about God and David and all these sort of things. And in verse 38, the nouns change to you. Let it be known to you. We proclaim to you. Um, that's a call. That's a personal call to do something about the gospel information. And there's also a negative warning in there too in verse 41. Don't be like those in the day of Habakkuk. Okay, because verse 41 is a quotation from the prophet Habakkuk. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish, for I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe, even if one tells it to you. Now, what's the connection? Well, okay, here's the connection. 
Habakkuk had warned the people of his day that God was going to do a mighty wonder, namely to use the Babylonian Empire to come and destroy Judah as punishment and take its people captive. But the people of that day scoffed at Habakkuk's, Habakkuk's message. Nah, that ain't going to happen. That's, God wouldn't do that to us. Don't, not not going to happen. Right? Paul is saying, God has done another mighty wonder. He has raised up Jesus to be the Savior, the forgiver of sins, the one freeing us from the penalty of sin. Don't scoff at this wonder. Accept it. Now, I'll tell you, I think that we live in a, I guess I'll call it a live and let live culture, where it is really hard for us to call somebody to do something. It's really hard for us to make a call, like, you should do this, right? Or consider this. We struggle to find the appropriate words. Um, once heard a story about somebody in a PhD program, their advisor was dying, I think of AIDS. And this person was trying to figure out, how do I just make a gospel call to my advisor here? You know, what do I do? What do I say? How do I, I do this? And finally, the only words that came out were, it's at one of the meetings, you know, when he was in one of the advising meetings, he simply just said, come to Christ. You know, sometimes maybe it just should be that simple. If we don't know what to say, come to Christ. And if that's too much of a stretch, and yeah, for me, that's, that's probably way too much of a stretch with most people in my life to say come to Christ, we can at least learn to call them to something. Hey, come to church. That's a call. Uh, hey, you mentioned that you're struggling with XYZ. I've got a book on that topic. Would you, you know, could I, could I give it to you? Would you mind reading it? That's a call. Uh, boy, that sounds like something hard you're going through in your life. Hey, can we get together to, you know, over coffee to talk about this more? That's a call. Surely as messengers of Jesus, we can, we can learn to call people to something rather than just letting that information hang out there. Whatever makes sense in the context, whatever level seems appropriate. So, in summary... Each of us is called to be an evangelist, a good news messenger for Jesus, but we struggle with that, and I think the point of this passage, or one of the things that God is trying to encourage us in this passage is the simplicity of what he's actually asking us to do. Go where the gospel might find listeners, find commonality with those listeners, call for some sort of response from those listeners. And the other thing I'll end with is this. And I don't know if you've noticed this in the book of Acts as you have gone through the various chapters, but there's this beautiful and wonderful interplay between God's direction and human decisions. Sometimes humans decide where to go, Sometimes God clearly directs where they're supposed to go. So, for example, in chapter 8, when the Jerusalem persecution breaks out, if you can remember back to that chat, uh, passage, everybody scatters. Everybody goes into different directions. And Philip decides to go to Samaria. 
and has really fruitful ministry there. But it seems to be like that was his choice. Everybody scattered. Philip said, I'm going to go to Samaria. Great ministry. But just a few verses later, there's an angel of the Lord who comes to Philip and says, go down to the road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza and meet an Ethiopian eunuch. Very clear God's direction uh, on that. When Barnabas and Paul set out on this first missionary journey, remember, it's because the Holy Spirit says, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work that I've called them. That's God's direction, at least in terms of who the people are supposed to be on the mission trip. But there's no sense in that passage that God said where. He could have. We don't know. But why did they go to Cyprus first then? Well, it makes the most logical sense. It's the island closest to where they were. Barnabas was from Cyprus, so he knew the place. There were a lot of synagogues, so a lot of opportunity to share the gospel uh, in synagogue services. It just made, from a human point of view, a very logical decision. And, you know, if we were to go on in Acts, there's, there's more stories, too, about, you know, that, that really interesting one where in Acts 16, for example, where on the second missionary journey, Paul wants to go to Asia. Human decision makes sense, but the Holy Spirit blocks us. So then Paul says, okay, well, let's go to Bithynia. Human decision. But the Spirit of Jesus blocks that, too. And finally, Paul has a vision of a man of Macedonia, that's in modern-day Greece, saying, come help us. So Paul concludes, oh, okay, I thought I was supposed to go to Asia, I thought I was supposed to go to Bithynia, but nope, I'm supposed to go over to Greece. And I think what this reminds us, us again is that if we are people who believe in the providence of God, and we should, and we do, this being messengers of Jesus is not something that we are ultimately having to solve on our own. We use our human decisions, but God ultimately directs our steps. He'll let us make our decisions, but if he ever has other ideas for where we're supposed to be and what we're supposed to be doing, he'll tell us. Do we believe that this is not something that we have to essentially drum up on our own as we are talking to people? We are messengers for Jesus, but Jesus is there for the messengers. Both in terms of us being reminded to just keep it simple, and that ultimately God is providentially in control. And if there's a dry spell in your life, when nobody around you wants to talk about Jesus, maybe that's okay. Just keep seeking the Lord in terms of where he wants you to go. So my final appeal in this is this. As we work to be messengers of Jesus, let us relax that Jesus is for us as messengers, both in the simplicity of the message and the guidance of the Spirit. May it be so. Amen.